Thanks for tuning in to Best Show Ever, a podcast presented by The Angler. In this week's episode, we'll talk about new opportunities to invest in the recorded music industry. Then we'll chat with Bioa Jose, aka Iowa City hip hop artist and singer songwriter Ade. And we'll hear from Midwest One personal banker Amanda Sharp about her best show ever. But first, here's a word from our sponsors. Toyota of Iowa City has been owned and directly managed by the Drusicki family since 1981. What makes Toyota of Iowa City unique is their long-standing reputation for customer satisfaction in both sales and service, transparency, and supporting our community, including the Englert Theater. Please visit their website at toyotaiowacity.com to make service appointments, review inventory, or check out current factory incentives. Or find them on Highway 1 West. 18 months ago, the Englerton film scene announced Strength and Grow Evolve, our collaborative campaign with a mission to build the greatest small city for the arts by preserving our history, creating new spaces, and expanding our reach to the whole community. When the campaign began, we could not have anticipated the financial devastation of the pandemic in 2020. While we've raised an incredible $5 million of our $6 million objective and achieved many of our goals, Our work takes on new importance as we fight to keep our organizations alive and thriving in this socially distanced reality. We're wrapping up this campaign amidst immense challenges, and we need you for the closing act. To give now, go to strengthengrowevolve.org and help us ensure the long-term success of the arts through the pandemic and beyond. We're so grateful for your support, and with your help, we will achieve more together. Throughout this podcast, we've discovered dozens of ways the pandemic has negatively impacted artists, venues, stagehands, agents, engineers, and all things involving live music performances. We've witnessed beloved institutions shut down. We've seen longtime industry workers being furloughed, and we've seen revered artists struggling to make rent, although that is not a new phenomena. According to Goldman Sachs, the music industry saw a 25% decline in revenue this year due to the loss of live entertainment opportunities. And in the midst of all this struggle, it's easy to forget that there's another side to the music industry, and it's actually doing pretty well. So for today's art news, we're taking a look at what the past five years, including 2020, have shown us about the recorded music side of the industry and the ways in which it's actually thriving. Thriving to the point that investors, big and small, are taking notice and staking their claim. Around the turn of the century, Napster made its infamous debut and record sales met their unfortunate demise. The music industry hit a long period of turmoil bottoming out in 2014, but in the past five years, it's actually been seeing year-over-year growth which is almost exclusively due to the success of streaming services like Spotify and Apple Music, along with the increased accessibility of smartphones from which to stream from. In the overall financially turbulent year of 2020, streaming services actually garnered an 18% year-on-year growth, according to an article from Private Equity International. And research done by Goldman Sachs predicts the streaming-driven music industry will continue to grow, earning a 6% compound annual growth rate between 2019 and 2030. 
Now, this news isn't exactly exhilarating for the 99% of streaming artists who have been less than satisfied with the model and its meager payouts. But it's very exciting news for a few groups. The top 1% of streaming artists who often garner over 90% of streaming royalties, streaming platforms, Obvi, and investors. Looking specifically at the growth that's occurred during the pandemic, it's obvious that consumers value music in good times and also in bad times. And with premium fees as low as $10 a month, users are willing to buy in even during an economic downturn. This is appealing to investors looking for alternative investing options, uh, especially ones that are largely independent from market volatility. Music's implications in the rise of social media and streaming services like Netflix and HBO are becoming more apparent as well. From TikTok challenges to Instagram reels to the amazing music placements and shows like SRA's Insecure, which I cannot stop binge watching, please send help. Music and pop culture are now inextricable besties and investors are seeing that. Back in the day, the only real way to own part of a song, to really invest in a song, required purchasing an entire catalog for mass amounts of money. Think Bob Dylan just sold his catalog for almost $400 million. But now there are services like Royalty Exchange that allow retail investors to buy royalty shares of songs for a few thousand dollars. Like all things investing, there are risks involved, but some players are finding that investing in tried-and-true hits like Bon Jovi's Living on a Prayer or Blondie's Heart of Glass can provide very lucrative results. Royalty Exchange boasts an average ROI of 10%, 15% for the Doobie Brothers song Black Water, as an example. Merck Merkiartis, former manager to the likes of Elton John and Beyonce, claims that music is worth as much as gold or oil. His company, Hypnosis, offers a similar service to Royalty Exchange, allowing investors to get in on the over 13,000 song catalog he's acquired. Most royalty investors receive royalty checks quarterly, which is a hugely appealing source of consistent passive income. Also, how cool is it to hear a song play on the radio and be like, oh yeah, I actually own a part of that. On the other side of the equation are the song writers, producers, engineers, anyone who has the opportunity to sell their song royalties to these platforms, which basically means they're able to collect money upfront for what would take years to earn in piecemeal royalty payments. Artists can even sell just parts of the song royalties, they can sell them temporarily, and the ability to collect and reinvest future royalties is a huge and fairly unheard of opportunity for modern musicians, especially in the streaming environment. It's likely, however, that the opportunity will only come for more established artists who provide less of a financial risk for investors. Nevertheless, I personally read any new avenues for artists to get they cash as a hopeful sign, but we're far from out of the woods in regards to artists earning a livable wage for their work. It's hard to imagine royalty investing as revolutionizing the music industry model, but it's potentially a step in the right direction. 
And I'll be the first to admit that investing in an artist's royalties, owning a part of their song, sounds pretty cool, but... And I'll be the first to admit that investing in an artist's royalties, owning a part of their song, sounds pretty hip and cool, but buying their records may be even cooler. Baiwa Jase, better known by his artist name, Ade, is a multi-instrumentalist singer, songwriter, rapper, producer, dancer, and all-star collaborator. Pre-pandemic, Ade was a frequent performer at Gabe's Yacht Club. My favorite performance was at the Sanctuary. And recently, he released a collaborative EP with fellow artist Jim Swim called Michelin Astronomy. And to put it simply for y'all, it goes off. You guys might remember him from episode four of Best Show Ever, where we featured his song, Waste of Time. Okay, Bio, it's so nice to hear from you. I feel like we're usually bumping into each other all the time, but as sure. we've been, you know, not at Gabe's, we've had less of that. <laughs> Soon enough, hopefully we'll be back. Um, yes. So my first question for you, because I'm curious about this with you specifically. Okay. How, do you, how, has, how has the pandemic affected your productivity as an artist? And we've asked this a lot, but mm. from an outside perspective, yeah. it seems like mm. you've been as productive as ever, especially looking at like your year oh. stats from Spotify, like 40,000 listeners. Oh, yeah. Hello. Yeah. Have you been able to keep up with like your usual output? Yeah. Well, I think for one, a lot of the stuff that I've even I've re- relatively done with like Jim Swim or some of these other um, collaborators that I do work with, a lot of the times is I, I have my own studio, so I record all my stuff from my place. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe we'll get ideas together or whatever. But the the main thing is like for me, I'm really picky um, when it comes to um, recording. So I'll I'll take like seventy different sessions, seventy different like. If you look on Ableton, they'll have different mm-hmm. tracks. And I'll sing like one part like 15 times until I get like the perfect part. And so because of that, I don't like recording with other people because I feel like I'm wasting their time. Mm. And so um, this like worked perfectly for me. Almost the pandemic worked perfectly for me because it was just like, I don't know if you've seen that TikTok thing, but it was just where people, uh, it's that African lady that says like, oh, I would hang out, but pandemic. And then she eats like a... <laughs> Like that's been me for the past, you know, six months. Just like, dang it, I wish I could, but you know, pandemic, you know. So, <laughs> so I've been just like recording on my spot, and it's made it relatively easy. I think on top of that, because I, I work for Collins Aerospace, and and because of that, um, the pandemic, I've actually been working from home, and so now I actually have mm-hmm. more time to be in the studio during like my short breaks or whatever. I utilize that time to like be on the on the piano or be on Ableton, learn something new a little bit uh, before I go back to work. And so um, I feel like, yes, the pandemic has made it hard for other aspects because, I mean, I love performing and I'm just like a people person in general. So, yes, the pandemic has definitely been hard on that aspect. I totally get that not wanting to do like your 8000 vocal takes like while you're in the studio. I'm the same way. Sure. I feel like it's because we're both vocalists. So it's like 
Oh, for sure. That's the thing that we like really are trying to get like just yeah. right. And so that it is super nice that that technology is there to make those collaborations happen, even when you're not in the same room. Exactly. It's a really viable way to do things. And I like for me, for I'm sure. more comfortable doing those takes when no one's around. Like I don't like practicing exactly. when people are around. I don't oh, like for experimenting sure. when people are around. So it's just I think it's, there's a level of perfectionism that I think a number of singers have. It seems like, too, you are diving more into the production aspect as well and this year and you know you said you're using ableton were you doing a lot of of your own producing before this year or is this really sort of set you on that path more most of the songs that i've done with like um jim swim or tyler james as some people know mr james in the teaching world is what (laughs) people know him as um but um, all of those songs that we've done together i've had my hand in production so I, i play seven instruments um, and I, I've, I mean, I've always had like, I guess to some degree, like a knack for music. So it works mm-hmm. perfectly where it was just like, I really know how to use Ableton like that, but I know how to play the instruments. I know how to get the sounds that are needed maybe for the track. And so it was like, when I worked with Tyler, um, it was a whole lot of me, like maybe playing the instrument, whether it be guitar, piano or something like that. And then, and then him working on it on Ableton to get the desired sound that we wanted. Um, and like, whether it be like reversing it or doing all these different things, he was the one that was in charge of all that. And so um, I guess I've always had like a hand in production. Now lately, um, because I'm more versed in Ableton, I can like speak to exactly what I want, want to do. We uh, like, we, we are working on a track right now um, and I was able to work on the drums and figure out what drum songs I wanted for that, as well mm. as like we did some like cool sampling and stuff like that. But I think I, I think um, to your point of to the effect of you getting your hand really in production, I think it's really obvious when you listen to Michelin Astronomy. I think you can mm. really hear the influence you're having on every aspect of that EP. What were some of your influences for that EP specifically? If you have for any sure. specific ones. Um, I, I know that like when we were coming up with the idea, which it actually came together relatively fast, like one of the tracks we, um, procedures, the pleasure to meet you, pleasure to meet you, that mm-hmm. track, um, we had had that idea like a long time ago and then finally implemented it. Um, we got my boy, um, Abraham, uh, or Peter, Peter Weiss. So we had that d- down. And like, I, I, the, the idea with Tyler and I is that a lot of the songs that we have done together, though we really enjoy the sounds are more like wavy, almost like lo-fi rap. Mm-hmm. And, and like, that's like his realm where like he feels really relatively strong in. And then like, um, I think once I kind of came into picture and started working with him, it was like we took that lo-fi sound and then kind of like modernized it a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then I think this EP kind of go all the way left and just be like, okay, what well, what would it look like to just like make bangers? And even with the bangers that we made, there was still like a still like I guess mm, like lo-fi esque vibe to it. Um, like, I think one of the influences might have been like um, Earth Gang. Um, yes. Earth Gang, definitely. I hear that. Yeah, yeah. Um, especially on uh, Don't Take Advice. Um, once yep. that change happens, 
um it has a very like earth gang vibe and that's one of the reasons why like i kind of go into that like upper octave um like higher tone and part of my uh uh, rap just because like i feel like that fit really dope dopely that's not a word but i'm going to use it in the (laughs) same um for that track and so um yeah i would say earth gang i heard sminnow you know is one of my favorite artists of all time that that dude is so good at what he does like i've never a rapper who is able to play with so many different melodies. Like he has like 17 different melodies in one track. So thank you so mm-hmm. much for that. Smino my favorite artist. So I'm glad that you got that. I mean, I think again, it was just, I do more vocal stuff than usual. And then Tyler does more um, lo-fi stuff um, than anything else. And so let's do something where like, I'm not doing a whole lot of singing and it's not a whole lot of lo-fi. Let's just kind of get out of our comfort zone a little bit. I think exactly the way you described it, like you two married those your those two worlds together together so perfectly. And like, yeah, on on don't take advice, like just you doing your, you know, your bars and then switching over to Tyler, who has like just a totally different, you know, tone when he raps. But it oh, it just works. So it sounds so cool. You can definitely tell collaboration like works so well for you, no matter who you're working with. And I think what is so special about you specifically is not only just your ability to collaborate and I don't know, just draw people into your performances, but it's the way you, you toe the line between so many different genres and how freaking good you are at so many different genres. Like you can sing Beyonce and you can make songs that sound like earth gang, but you can also do singer songwriter songs and they're beautiful. Mm. Like, thank you. You can't, you got so many tools in the JD toolbox. It's incredible. I appreciate it. I really do. So my next question is what are you working on now? What's, what's next for you? What can we expect to see in the future? Yes. What am I working on now? Um, I mentioned that uh, Tyler and I just kind of started working on a new track. Um, I think he posted a clip of it um, like a few days ago, um, which is just like a fun, uh, like I think in that one, we kind of referenced Tierra Whack, who is so, I freaking love Tierra Whack with a burning passion. She's one of my favorite artists right now. Um, And so we kind of like referenced one of her tracks to kind of get like an idea um, as to like, we figured out the BPM, um, and it just kind of has that like bouncy, like fun vibe to it that, um, that, yeah, that TR whack exudes so well. Um, and so working on that one, um, I'm also like working on a new, like solo project that I might have Tyler help with. Um, and I'm really excited for this one. I have like a number of the tracks already done and some of my, it'll be some of my older tracks, like figure it out. will finally be out. Um, I've been singing that song for like two years, um, just live and haven't, don't actually have a recording of it. Um, and so finally having a product where I can utilize it. Um, I'm super excited for that one. Um, I have a number of other just singles that I've just been sitting on, like done some work with like Pete. He sent me a couple beats. So, um, I have like three songs that I just wrote last week, um, in regards to that. I've noticed that I've put a lot of like rap songs out out, and so now I'm trying to do more like vocal stuff now. I think um, once I get comfortable with again more comfortable with Ableton, 
um, figure out ways that like a lot of producers like Kenny Beats or um, Zaytoven mm-hmm. um, uh, or whatever, how they kind of, where, how they come up with stuff and how they realize that like, hey, this works well. Like their, their mindset when it comes to sound design, um, trying to kind of like dive into their head a little bit, but then also utilizing how maybe I would go about it. Um, I, I think there's just so many things on YouTube that there's, there's, there shouldn't be any issue for me to like, at mm-hmm. least learn a foundation, a foundation for me to therefore build my specific sound. Let's go. Well, we're excited to see it because you're already killing it. So I appreciate it. I really do. Take it to the next level. It's going to be nuts. Um, last question. What is what is the best way for our listeners to support you mm. right now? I'm on Instagram I'm under at a music. So that's a as an apple, D as in dog, E as an elephant and then music with a Z. So M-U-Z-I-C. Um, that's me on uh, Instagram. I'm also on Spotify. I think if you go to my Instagram, you'll see like a link that goes to like my latest project. Possibly might be starting a Patreon. Um, yes. But I don't have information on that at all. But probably just utilizing that time to maybe go through the process of like what it looks like for me to songwrite, as well as just like maybe performing some covers, performing some of my original stuff. It just kind of seems like that's the move that artists are making. And I'm just trying to not be left behind, if you will. And then also when when we're able to play live again, come to shows and talk to a brother. If you again, I, I love meeting people. I love people. I love it when cool people also dig my music. So if you're a dope human who also enjoys dope music, you know, come come see me. And, and if you vibe with it. Let, let a brother know. <laughs> and and I will say that, yes, go see Ade when performances happen again, because Ade is a performer extreme, totally <laughs> engaging, yeah. just makes you smile ear to ear. Gosh, dang it. I appreciate it. <laughs> I appreciate yeah, that. I need more of that in my life, RN. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk Thank with you. us again. You absolutely can it's always a pleasure. It always is. Coming up next, our conversation with Midwest One personal banker Amanda Sharp about her best show ever. But first, a word from our sponsors. Support comes from Best Case Wines, your Iowa City-based importer and distributor of wines from small family wineries in France, Portugal, Oregon, and California. Focusing on wines that offer an authentic sense of where they're grown while enhancing the pleasure of your daily table. Best Case Wines, making sure your glass is always half full. Look for us at area retailers and restaurants and find us on Facebook. Amanda Sharp is a personal banker at Midwest One in Iowa City. She's been with the bank for over six years and has seen firsthand the financial impact COVID-19 has had on the individual, institutional, and community levels. Okay, Amanda, it's so nice to meet you and chat. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Okay, so first off for the layman, can you explain briefly what it means to be a personal banker and what that entails? 
Yeah, so basically um, I am just in an office at a bank. Um, I'm like the first person you see when you walk in and if you need to open accounts or do more lengthy transactions, change signers on accounts, I work with both um, personal customers, so like individuals that come into the bank for personal banking reasons, as well as um, business customers and like local businesses that and just like their banking needs as well. Um, so I do a lot for both of those and just helping get accounts structured like they need to be. And yeah, loans, personal loans. What Are there things that you've learned from being in that position of just being trusted with helping people in their financial needs, I guess? Oh yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely, I mean, there's for sure a learning curve of things that like you don't even think of when you get into banking. I know I knew zero things about banking. When I started, I came from a performing arts management degree and was like, if I move anywhere, where can I get a job? And banks are everywhere in the world. So I figured this was a good place to kind of hop on into. And so um, I've learned, you know, just like how FDIC insurance works and how different, if you structure your money different ways and it's more of it's insured. Um, I've learned just all the different regulations and things that they have within banking that, you know, I would have never known. I also learned that there's like a million more federal holidays that most people don't celebrate <laughs> like we do in the banking world. Nice. <laughs> um, so, and you've been doing this for a hot minute, around six years. Have you noticed a shift now that we're in full pandemic mode in the way people are thinking about their finances, talking to you about their finances? Um, have you noticed a shift since you've been working throughout the pandemic? Yeah, there's definitely been kind of a shift in a need to kind of transition from that in-person kind of structure for banking. And a lot of it's being transferred virtually or online. I mean, I work at the downtown Iowa City location. So there's a lot of people coming in and businesses, you know, coming in daily. And now that's kind of tra had to transition just for the safety of everyone within the bank and our customers to um, virtual ways. So I spend a lot more time on the phone or doing emails um, instead of just meeting with customers in my office every day. And so um, it has forced banks themselves to kind of step up their technology. And so um, we've rolled out new online banking platforms and really upped our technology side of things to kind of work towards being more more virtual and i feel like oh i'm uh, we've said this a bajillion times but with that virtual component can come an accessibility component like maybe mm -hmm. who have a harder time getting there in person could benefit from more virtual opportunities becoming a more long-term thing so and banks also do are able to do business by lending money to the community um, has that changed since it feels like people are maybe pulling back from making large investments right now? Does that look different? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for um, like deposit rates and just loan rates in general, so loan rates are down a lot. So it's good for, you know, people buying houses, which like are people buying houses right now? I don't really know. 
but it's good for that since the interest rates are really low in that regard. But for um, investing funds, the the interest that the customer would get back for investing those funds or putting them into some sort of CD within the bank, those are also really low. And so we don't see as many people like locking up their funds long term since their return back isn't very good. So it's kind of a give or take kind of thing. Um, with investing funds back into the community um, or like smaller businesses getting loans, I think that is a little bit more challenging now since the guarantee of business isn't always there right now. Um, I think a lot of we've seen a lot of problems with smaller businesses. I mean, the economy is so kind of volatile right now that it's hard to say like which businesses will stick around, which is really sad to say, but it's hard as a, a company or, you know, a bank that is lending the funds. It's hard to kind of protect both the customer and the bank from getting into more debt than can be repaid. Can you maybe explain um, some of the ways that a bank can you know, have positive impact on a community, um, positive impact on creating equity in a community, things like that? Yeah. So um, like being a community-based bank, um, especially like Midwest One, we're very, very focused on the communities that we're in. And so a lot of that is just um, giving back to like the communities that we are located in essentially. Um, And so we do a lot with just like the different festivals that are in Iowa City and being sponsors of that and just sponsoring events within communities that we can. And then just being sure that the employees of the company are able to volunteer and like you know, we we really focus on like volunteering within the communities that we're in. So there are times like if a event or something is during business hours, like as long as you ask, like chances are you can probably get off a few hours early for work, which who doesn't want that? And just be involved in the community and out there, you know, as a face for the bank, just spreading the word and making communities better places to be in really. So we're going to start to talk about your best show ever experience. But first, I want to just talk about a little birdie told me that you are a longtime dancer. Um, Can you just talk briefly about your history with dance? What drew you to the art form, your relationship with it? Yeah, of course. So I started dancing when I was young. I was probably like five Um, I was dancing way before that, just like in my backyard by myself. I don't know, (laughs) being some weird like ribbon dancer girl. (laughs) And then (laughs) then I I transitioned into actually like taking studio classes. And um, it became kind of just like a family thing, kind of. Um, I was in dance and then we started doing competitive tumbling and trampoline. And like it was this whole thing. And um, my mom started coaching tumbling at the studio that we were going to. So it was, we were, I basically lived at the dance studio, which kind of helped. Like I just go in and like 
do like all these different classes for like all these different cl- like classes I wasn't even in, but like, I'm like, huh, I'm here. So I might as well just stand in. And then it just kind of transitioned into like me teaching dance in high school. And then I graduated and I was kind of like, uh, I don't know what I want to do with my life. And the only thing that I had really been a constant my whole life had been dance. And so when I came here to the university, I had taken dance classes and now it's kind of I got injured, obviously, and had to stop dancing. But after that, it's kind of just transitioned into like weird, like dad dance moves, I think now, like, I don't think I could do like, you know, a pirouette or (laughs) anything like that right now. But I definitely have like the finger guns and like some great dad (laughs) dance moves. <laughs> okay. What an evolution there. Yeah. So. <laughs> now I'm curious, you know, best show ever. Yeah. Is it dance related? Is it music related? Yeah, I think probably my f- best. I think like the whole downtown block party is just like, it's like, so good you get everything you want sand volleyball done you want to drink beer outside done you want to have a silent disco done like it checks all the boxes you know it's just like it's good for everyone there's you can change your mind like oh I want to do the silent disco for like five minutes but then I want to go over here and like just watch people dive around in sand. Like it's, I want to like sit here and like, I don't know, watch dueling pianos. There's just so much to do that you can just run around and do whatever you want. I remember when someone first told me about the block party, when I like first moved to Iowa city and I was just like, are you sure? I was like, that (laughs) sounds absurd. They put sand in the street. There's no way. And Mm -hmm. then finally, yeah, I got to experience it myself. And it's just like, oh my gosh, just the total mass of people. I think it is kind of like what you said, the way it pulls so many different elements of sport, music, uh, community uh, building, drinking beer outside, always, always (laughs) weirdly fun to just be in like the middle of downtown. Yeah. Outside. And they had like circus performers one year, like those like aerial fashion show. Yeah. Yeah. Circus performer, mm-hmm. fashion show. It's got everything. It and does. it is it is just crazy to me, like just the like the sheer number of people it does bring to downtown. And like you can only imagine with that how much, you know, how much a boost that economy gets from that event you know, people coming from outside of Iowa City coming to stay or visit for the first time in a while or, you know, things like that that just like can just really, I don't know, lift the spirits of an entire community, which is always very cool to see. And yeah, I mean, a bunch of people dancing to music you can't hear is just like such an insane concept. Like, I don't know who came up with that, but it's just such a goofy and strange Mm -hmm. concept that just works. And I love when we can implement things like that, like doing those weird things together. Because it is Mm kind of like a weird idea when you think about it. And like sand in the streets, volleyball in the middle of the street. (laughs) 
weird. <laughs> my, awesome. favorite, my favorite thing about silent discos is when they have multiple different channels. And so like you could look at one group of people and they're like going wild, like crazy dancing because they're all at the specific one. And then you look over here and like this group of people is like doing like this weird Macarena thing to like a completely different rhythm. And you're like, what is happening? Like, am I losing my mind? (laughs) (laughs) So strange. Next summer, we'll just have two months of block party. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine? Like, I don't know, Joe Riley. Is that who I need to talk to? Like, let's get on this. We love Joe Riley. (laughs) Nighttime there. Make it happen. Two months of block party. (laughs) This is your assignment. 2021. Yeah. <laughs> call <me> out. <laughs> well, we'll call him out we'll let him know we'll make sure okay. he hears this well amanda thank you so much um for taking some time to talk today to get us uh up to date about banking i'm always needing a little lesson learned. appreciate that thank you thank you This week's song of the week comes from The Awful Purdies, a folk Americana collective of five multi-instrumental Iowa women. Their mission to tell women's stories and advocate for human rights through their music continues with their upcoming album, The Great Unraveling. Here's the first single from that project, No Machine. I'm no machine Sometimes I get so tired I'll buy caffeine I'm no machine Old dress got ripped in the wind Lick thread, needle eye and soul in silence for some time I'm no machine Cursor on a page Cage holding steel I'm no
RSVP is a brick-and-mortar stationery shop located in Iowa City's Northside neighborhood. Since 1999, RSVP has been an active part of a vibrant downtown retail and arts community. The shop has been lucky to play host to countless visual and book arts exhibits, literary readings, live music performances, and collaborative public art installations. With a commitment to connection and community, it is hoped that the things sold, the events and projects curated, bring people closer. Support for this podcast comes from Friends of the Inglert. To learn more, visit inglert.org friends. Ongoing support provided by the National Endowment for the Arts and the Iowa Arts Council, a division of the Iowa Department of Cultural Affairs and by the United States Regional Arts Resilience Fund. Phase One is an initiative of Arts Midwest and its peer United States Regional Arts Organizations, made possible by the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation.